When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Koshi, your lead. What do we do first? How do you want to put these two through their paces and judge their skills? Ooh, yeah. Um, let's have lunch. <laughs> good. Um, and that is a good first scene. I'll remind everybody uh, that, like, you saw how I introduced the trouble token. You, anybody can introduce trouble. Everybody has two trouble tokens that they can pass out during the game uh i have already marked off for drew uh that first trouble token has now turned into a fight that will be able to be used uh during competition itself um but now we have uh anybody else can do scenes or vignettes uh vignette is you know not exactly speaking but kind of uh just a look at you know your character you know somewhat along the lines of like a training montage type thing um well a scene would be like what we just did with dialogue and characters interacting and talking uh the point of the troubles is to just like amp up the drama raise the stakes uh make things more difficult and interesting for the group um, and because but anybody can introduce a scene, you can also introduce a scene as one of the other characters that you are playing. So you could come in with Silas Dennison or Emily Ashworth flashbacks. You could come in with, you know, finding a way to get the rival players to introduce themselves through scenes or vignettes as well. I think I definitely want to see a training montage. I think that's like. One of the first things I think we we should kind of see each one of us kind of giving what is a training thing we do and see where we goes from there. So we can kind of see the way that this school teaches and kind of what what's the whole deal with it. I like that. I think what I would like from each team member is uh, through vignette introduce one thing that really displays like the raw talent and potential that you have. And one thing that, you know, very plainly displays a struggle that you have. Let's start with the strengths, um, because okay. I kind of realized with new recruits, we want to show that everybody is competent. This isn't like a montage to growth like we we're no used to in most sports things. I think this is mm -hmm. characters that we mostly all know and we mostly all know why they're cool. So let's let's see them struggle first. Sorry. Okay. So let's let's see uh like their strengths first, you said, right? Yeah, strengths first and then struggle. Okay. Goodness gracious. Cool, me. cool. No, it's totally fine. Uh so I think the first vignette that we see is we see the three of the three people on our team and we're doing uh accuracy courses. Uh so what it is is that there is on one of these large stone pillars kind of out in the valley, there's a bunch of targets uh affixed to it. 
And they're targets that are not just like a bullseye, like you have to shoot it, but it's also a target where you have to um, put your bird through the hoop type thing. So the idea is that you start at the bottom and you fly your way in a corkscrew up, going through hoops and making shots as you go. And uh, so we see the three of them like on the ground with their birds. We see Coach Divya uh, sitting there. I imagine they have like a chair out so they can sit down and there's like a parasol. So like they're out of the sun. I I picture Um, it's like on one of these like tiny little finger mountains. So there's just this tiny patch of grass on the top of this mountain with a single chair and an umbrella there. Um, Yeah. She's just like watching proceedings through opera glasses. Yeah, she's get, yeah, she's <laughs> or or I guess I hear, guess a a spyglass as she has one eye. We hear the beep beep of her blowing the whistle, and you have to like from the ground run to your bird, saddle up and go. And we see Torikoshi like crack his knuckles, get ready to go. We hear the beep beep, and he runs. Uh, and the bird is actually already in flight by the time he gets there and like leaps into the saddle we see him pull his bow and uh the arrows that he's going to use and he does this whole course flawlessly it is it is very merida riding through the woods type moment mm-hmm. where he's making precision shots doing corkscrews and barrel rolls as he goes around to get through the hoops and make the shot at the same time in some places. And at the very, very top, there is the last target. And the target is not standing up. It's laying on the on the very top of it, mm. facing like on the ground. And so he corkscrews his way up, goes through that last, that last hoop and goes into the air and his bird, Pillage, who is a, a gray jay or a whiskey jack, goes up into the air and stalls out. Like the bird uh, just tucks its wings in and they fall out of the sky. And as they fall past it, he makes four shots in quick succession and they all rain down and hit the bullseye. Hell yeah. Question. Mm-hmm. In the training for the joust or in the joust itself... Is it a situation where we are going to be, where we are going to be, or where we might be paired up with different birds? Or is it You'll like be with, always on your with bird. your bird? Yeah. Okay, cool. So then I definitely think that we get, uh, in this montage, we get a scene of June and Augury, the Saker Falcon, mm-hmm. coordinating at a distance where June is not immediately in contact with this bird physically. So I think it's got to be like, I think I love this idea that Divya as the coach is up on high looking down. Maybe we've got like a, like a training labyrinth situation Mm -hmm. or like a hedge maze or something. Um, But not just hedges, obviously, because some of these birds do be big. Um, I mean, we have think, these finger mountains that, that yeah, we've got these to- mountains going on. Um, so I think that there's like a, a maze that has been constructed out of like natural landmarks where we are having to make our way through uh, while separated from our mounts as a way to like, I think there's something here to be learned about like, you can't just assume that your mount can read your mind literally like that, like you have to be able to make your way 
separately as well as together and that like there's there's obstacles and like pitfalls and stuff along the way i i like this and the way that we can justify this is uh the tengu dori the tengu dori joust especially if you are an offensive tengu dori player you will leap off the back of your bird onto your opponent's bird to fight your opponent um so yeah. there will be a time where you are separated from your mount and you know you two have to coordinate have to be together so that you can get back to your mount in time uh to avoid a technical dismount. Yes. So I think we see a scene of Coach Divya up on high looking down on this uh like obstacle maze. You know like Legends of the Hidden Temple style but instead of sideways like vertically it's she's looking down from above and can see the whole maze. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the idea that it starts off pretty challenging uh, with like the bird in one spot and June making her way through this maze from another angle. But I think at the longer June is in the maze, the bird starts to move towards her that like, mm-hmm. it's not just June running through this mousetrap maze uh, to get to the bird at the end. The bird also is seeking June through the maze and that Divya from up on high sees that like there is a distinct coordinated strategy connection between the two of them. I like the idea that this maze has like some obstacles that like you move through. And the idea is that for most like offensive players, you have this like minute and 30 second period where you can jump off your mount go fight the other one, score, uh, score a point, and then you have to, in the middle of like this intense fighting, be able to signal to your bird like, okay, it's time to come around so that, that we can, you know, get back together. Um, so the idea of this training course for most riders is that you have to navigate through and figure out when amongst the obstacles you can signal your bird. And the idea is like you have to be moving through these obstacles as quickly as possible. That you know, there are areas where you're supposed to block and hit dummies and whatnot, and you're moving the whole time and whatnot, so that you have to be thinking about two things at the same time. Um and like you it, it causes most people to like have to slow down and whatnot. But June can just sail right through it. And Divya waits and waits and like thinks that this isn't going to go well because there's never a call or a whistle for the Saker Falcon to let the Falcon know where June is going to come out. Um, so like Divya is like seeing this bird and not knowing that this bird is exactly tracking June's movements. And then suddenly June, like the bird dives down. Divya like stands up because the bird has no reason to be diving down. And then we can see June pop out and like literally jump into the sky and effortlessly. Augury just swoops in and catches June. And Divya is kind of like staring on in amazement. Uh, and and then there's like this, again, this like cocky smile that crosses her face as this is exactly the sort of thing that she wants to see. And I will also say, Allie, based on that description, that is definitely a cool like bonding moment between you and your bird. So I'm going to give you the the fight token that you get for that. Uh, Our version of Fight with Spirit has a special extra fight token for bird bonding. Yeah. 
Expert bonding. Let's see a strength for Braith. Okay. Braith's task is going to be a precision flight path. Um, He is going to ride Squall down into a narrow valley or area where it is very difficult to navigate. You can easily run into um, very tight situations where if you don't turn completely sideways, you're going to hit a wall and you're going to fall. There are a series of rings or objects that he needs to pick up. He has a, I guess I'll say a whip, because he... Oh, yeah, he's got the the whip sword as his weapon, right? Yeah, so I think he's using, like, a a weighted whip right now for practice. Heck yeah. And so he takes off on Squall and nosedives directly into a canyon that is so narrow that at certain points uh, the tip of Squall's feathers kind of brushes the wall. Um, He has to make really fast turns and uh, just really tight movement. And and one mistake could send them tumbling down to the bottom of a canyon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think there's the sort of thing where Divya is watching and Braith has to choose like where he is going to enter. And like, yeah, there is this high risk, high reward, like you can fly in through this narrow area. It'll be a really difficult path, but you know, theoretically, it's the fastest way through. And I think watching you head towards that one, Divya is like getting the whistle ready to like signal people to come in and get you after like a fall or whatever. Um, and Divya uh, will say like kind of out of the side of her mouth to Tori Koshi, how old is this kid again? 15. 16. No, he's 16. He's 16. Sovereign's body. And she's about to put the whistle in her mouth. And then Braith sails through this tiny crevasse uh, without any trouble whatsoever. And I think like there's a moment where she looks over at Tori Koshi uh, and says, 16? Uh, and Torikoshi is in the middle of going, oh my goodness, I did think he'd know. Mm. Yeah, he's 16. Uh, and like there is now a kind of hungry sparkle in Divya's eyes. Now, folks, tell me about your weaknesses. Drew, I know you had one all chambered up. and I think Torikoshi's weakness is speed. I think we see a scene where the three of them are doing speed formations like going in formation in at a fast pace and it's not even the fact that like his bird can't go that fast we can see pillage like chomping at the bit pulling on it trying to catch up with augury and squall for some reason torikoshi doesn't like to go fast um he likes to go slow or at least steady and he always takes the safest turn. He always takes, you know, the he doesn't take the tight turn. He always takes the wide turn. When we see uh, Braith and June do like a dive that goes in between someplace narrow, we see him always go over it. Uh, he takes the easy, not easy, but he takes the, the, the safest way, but he does it beautifully. Yeah. Um, and I think like Divya, like watching this, you know, with her stopwatch or whatever, like 
is, you know, paying very careful attention and like kind of moving her head and body with the pace of things and like watching Tori Koshi, you can tell that like she's got this, come on, kid, get it together and just move a little bit. And it's like, as she marks the final time, there's just like a bit of a sad smile of like, we're still dealing with this at at 18. Weaknesses. Um, I think that uh, we, we've always portrayed Braith as being super fast, super accurate, and just mm-hmm. really, really good. But something we haven't really portrayed him with, um, he's always on his own with these flights and these tricks. He is not good at anticipating the moves of others. Oh, wow. Nice. Okay. Okay. So this is clearly like a training exercise for a clash where the idea is you're supposed to hit something and not get hit yourself at the same time. What what kind of dummy setup do we think we have to like, like that gets you hit in an unexpected way? Oh, man. Oh, I think it's on top of one of the big stone pillars. There is an apparatus that has that spins Mm -hmm. and it spins in such a way. uh, I think it's also it's a windmill as well. So it's wind powered. Okay, And it has like arms on it of like different sizes and lengths with some have sandbags. Some are just like solid, like big as tree trunks type thing. And it spins and you have to like go through it like you have to like. I I yeah. like the idea. Yeah, it, I think it is this big upward facing kind of like windmill construction. So there is this like tower um, of these sort of like curved and sloping, almost helix like fans that get blown by the wind and that turn these big turbine arms up top. And each of those arms has like a a dummy target on it, uh, uh, like something that is solid. However, they also have these little tails that like flicker and whatnot. They've basically, there's like a knot at the end of some rope and little flags tied on it so that it whips around in the air in like kind of an unpredictable way. And it's not solid enough to like really hurt you, but like if you're too focused on the target, you can get bopped pretty easily by this knot. I think, yeah. So I think Braith is able to navigate around the structure itself really well. He's able to time it and like fly past and get the flags, but like at least half the time he gets smacked. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually, like, it is this really kind of heroic and wild like score of target after target but like we can see he hits the target uh, uh, there's like a big connect and like you can even hear cheering from like like the the crowd section and then there's the whap as the knot like jostles him and like hits his hair and progressively it gets more and more disheveled <laughs> yeah so you always hear like oh yeah oh ooh. <laughs> So, yeah, I think Braith, his entire life, has made up for his lack of anticipation with skill and fortitude. Yeah, I think if you're going faster than everybody else, it doesn't matter if you anticipate their movements. Uh, but If you can can take a hit, why avoid it? (laughs) Because the hits are worth points. June, weaknesses. If you need a suggestion, I got one. 
Yeah, because I'm like running through the checklist and like June isn't afraid of going fast. She's not afraid of, you know, taking a fall or taking a hit or whatever. Um, She's not like overly cautious in any way. What do you got, James? I think mind games is what I've got. Um, (laughs) I think June really suffers with sports psychology. It is extremely easy to goad her into making mistakes. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So Tengu Dori training, you know, is a lot like fight training, but there is, you know, m- like this isn't like the yellow Audrin fight training or or this is like the red Audrin fight training, which is like, this is your family. Um, people are telling stories and whatnot as they're correcting form or the yellow Audrin training, which I think is a little bit more regimented and serious minded. Like they're passing out these techniques and advice to you is like, this is how you protect people. This is how you protect yourself. Respect it. This is people who are fighting for sport. Um, and, you know, there is a lot of like points are scored uh, in ways that like you wouldn't really fight that way in a real fight. But this is about points. So whether or not your form is better or whether or not like you are doing the thing that would actually like win a fight, it's like, well, actually, he scored the point first. So you lost and we reset. And then eventually, like, I think there is a moment where Divya will, like, give a signal to Torikoshi. And I want to hear just a little bit of trash talk from Torikoshi. Against June? Against June. Like, because <laughs> you've, this has been a thing where June is clearly a better fighter. You, you've done sparring, but this is now, like, a points thing. And I think this round has gone you have scored every single point and June technically has not even really touched you. <laughs> so uh, what it is, is I feel like, uh, are we looking at, are we looking at it being like a, like it's a, a test bout? Like we're, we're actually jousting with each other. I think this is a Tengu Dori training specifically. So you are in a small arena that is like saddle sized, like for a goose saddle. So like it's big. You picture Appa's saddle. Um, okay. It's an arena that's about the size of Appa's saddle. So the idea is June's got to jump in and like score a point and leave. And basically every time you have scored the point on her instead uh, and she's forced to to leave. Uh Okay. Without really claiming the prize. We see June leap onto the saddle, and as she lands, Turakoshi is there with like like a kendo sword, and and they lock, and he goes, hey there, Carrot Top. Carrot Top? It's that confusion moment, she goes, Carrot Top, that he goes under and like, like whaps her on, on the side of the shoulder. And he goes, what are you doing? Do you ride tortoises? You're moving real slow there, Carrot Top. There's that like lightning flash of insult into perplexed yeah (laughs) like is this part of it like june is like what like i think that you're absolutely right james that one of june's big uh flaws then is is that if she is unclear on the rules about something Mm -hmm. she kind of chokes for a second until she understands the rule especially coming from torikoshi she's like what (laughs) what are you talking about like (laughs) who taught you how to fight carrot top and then then the anger sneaks in and she fights 
and it, it's messy and she doesn't she doesn't get the hit obviously but the anger fuels it and she's certainly faster at that point but it's not it's not to her advantage and yeah what i think goes on over the course of this training session is like yeah being called carrot top probably not going to get under june's skin once but after an entire training session where you haven't succeeded the entire time. There are all of these rules that are holding you back from doing the things that you know that you're capable of doing. And Carrot Top is not a thing that would annoy me. Why is it annoying me now? Why is it making me mad? Yeah. Technically, your hair should be green. <laughs> right. Carrots have green hair. Braith is just standing off to the side during this whole thing, trying to signal to Torikoshi, like doing that hand signal, like yeah. don't. You you gotta stop, man. She could kill you. <laughs> yeah, I also think that that uh, part of the montage of of June uh, getting triggered by by losing and by missing the rules and by being taunted that in between every exercise she becomes more disheveled. But slowly, in between each each exercise, her focus goes from like Divya and the instructions to Torikoshi. And now there's like now she's it's it's like every time he turns around, she's already looking at him and she's frowning. Mm-hmm. And like now now there's a problem there. Maybe it's not carrot top. Maybe it's pumpkin bread, something like that. You're from Thornvale, aren't you? And I think I think what happens in the end is that June gets so mad. That eventually she just hauls off and wallops Torikoshi. Uh, whether he just wasn't paying attention in that one moment, she gets him like full in the face and he falls. <laughs> yeah. And it's a success. Al- and she Allie, goes, I would, yeah. He, I would he, like to describe you to describe the moment where June goes too hard. That <laughs> Yes. Please, it's, please, the, please. it's the pumpkin bread comment. It's But it happens too fast they're in this bout june is really into it torikoshi is into it he's also been training at this longer than she has and she knows that and she's not happy about it Mm -hmm. and in this particular moment in this montage this climax of emotion um he disarms her and her wooden kendo sword goes flying yeah and and he swings his arm around to like with like a little flourish and says the the comment about pumpkin bread and being from Thornvale but as he's turning around to say it her fist collides with his jaw and he goes down like immediately and then she kicks his little sword away Sky Jost Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. I certainly hope everyone is enjoying our foray into Sky Joust. Once again, another huge shout-out to Arnie Parrott for getting our music together for this, and shout-out to Allie Grower for being the amazing editor on this series, as well as an amazing cast member. Heroes, I want to remind everybody that soon the Ultimate RPG Campfire cards are going to be available for purchase, and they are available for pre-order right now. What are Campfire cards? It's an RPG accessory product designed to help your characters form closer bonds and create greater intimacy within your party, which will help your role-playing. 
These cards are full of prompts to help characters ask questions about each other and learn new information either from their backstories or about the world. It's a really easy and fun way to develop characters not just individually, but as a party. And if you're interested in picking up your own deck, you can head to bit.ly slash ultimate campfire or bit.ly slash campfire RPG. This product officially comes out in August, but it's available for pre-order now. I just got my sample copy in the mail and it looks amazing. Now, if you're a Skyjacks listener and you pre-order this product, you can email me your receipt over at contests at oneshotpodcast.com. And once we hit 100 pre-orders, I will select one of you to pick the subject of my next Skyjacks short story. So if you're pre-ordering it anyway, you might as well get some extra benefit. Before we get back to the show, I want to thank all of our backers on Patreon. This show would not be possible without you. And we are hoping to add a lot more of you soon. Coming up May 15th through the 31st, OneShot is going to be hosting our first Patreon drive since 2020. We're redoing our backer levels. We're adding a lot of cool incentives, including possibly, if we hit our goals, releasing the lost episodes of Campaign Star Wars. So if you want to get involved, head over to patreon.com slash oneshotpodcast and sign up to support us. And be sure to join in on the festivities when we host our drive May 15th through the 31st. Now then, with all that out of the way, a quick word from our sponsors. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And let's get back in the sky. Sky Joust. And he goes down, like, immediately. And then she kicks his little sword away. I would like to introduce a trouble token to June. Yes, please. And what I want to introduce is some shame to this moment for this to have been like, June will obviously be able to tell that she has gone too far. And this harkens back to a problem that she has had for a bit. And to play out this troubled scene, Drew, I would like in June's past, in combat training, (laughs) there is a time where she hit her rival, like actually hauled off and went too far. And Dennison kind of had to take her aside and go, these are your friends, June. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So what we see is uh, a sudden flashback to the deck of the Red Audrin. And it's not even... Like, they're docked. They're in mid-flight. And in mid-flight, we see Captain Dennison storming across the deck with, like, he's got June on the upper arm, pulling her across the deck. And behind them, we can see Fenton, like, leaned up against uh, the railing with, like, a bloody nose. And people are around her trying to figure out if she's okay. And Dennison takes her, like, across the deck to where the where the the forecastle is and turns her around and and goes what do you have to say for yourself hymnal sir it was i i, I know that it was too far but y- you heard what she said and you y- 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 you saw her coming at me sir you said i was supposed to we we were we were sparring sir 
You were sparring with Fenton? That was the exercise. It wasn't... We're in mid-flight, Hymnal. Okay, so we weren't we weren't sparring. We weren't sparring. Then what were you doing, Hymnal? I... She was... I'm going to give you all the time you need. June, red in the face and, like, you know, glassy-eyed and flustered, uh, like, you know, tries to straighten her jacket again and, and, and wipes her nose. And I'm sorry, sir, but when she starts to talk about other people like that, I couldn't, I couldn't help it. You got brothers or sisters, Hymnal? Yes, sir. They ever say something bad that you didn't like? Well, I mean, I guess, yeah, sir. You ever haul off them and make their nose bloody? No. You know, Hymnal, I've tried to drill it into you. And maybe it's not getting through to you. But when we're on this boat, we're all we have. We are your family. I don't care what Fenton says. I care that when we are in mid-flight, you are focused. Because if you are unfocused and something happens, things go wrong. And that is a liability not just to me but also to everyone else on this boat who are your family. We look out for each other. If you have a problem with Fenton Eves, you bring it to me. You do not take it into your own hands. Am I clear, apprentice? Clear, Captain. Good. I don't want to hear about this again. We cut back to the present. Like, that was, you know, you have all of these memories of your captain had to leave and like you you didn't even get to reach the point where you could show him that you had outgrown your flaws and here you are still carrying them forward and you've got a lot of emotions now swirling to wrap up this whole thing as you come out of that that flashback we see torakoshi like over the side of the saddle um obviously he was hooked in at some point so he's just dangling there like five feet off of it um and uh then there's a beep beep foul hymnal and i think june's the tension that's holding her upright like a lightning rod immediately goes out of her and she she automatically goes to the edge and and hauls him up from over the side and doesn't doesn't look at his face but hauls him back up and makes sure that he's back on the surface before she turns away and goes to pick up the the dropped uh, kendo swords and just like she tries to autopilot her way out of it but she is like shaking and unhappy certainly all right so we have uh, the scenes and the vignette uh c- come from Drew but we need scenes and vignettes from Allie and Mel everybody has like one scene and one vignette and you don't need to be the person that frames your scene but essentially what we're trying to do is make the upcoming match have some like like we're trying to say something about these characters lives where they are right now anxieties that they might have hopes that they might have the ways in which that is connected to the sport because through the trouble tokens and resolving our traits we are going to be able to create a story for these characters that like that that creates a stuff that will reflect in the match itself and actually turn into abilities so yeah when in doubt look at your traits and try and set up a scene that would display one of your traits or feature one of your traits very well oh i've got one and I think it's with Emily. It's that based on my daredevil trait, 
Um, I think, oh, you know what? It's probably how I got this scar. Braith probably did something risky um, that he thought he could pull off and ended up injuring himself, getting this massive scar and had to go home and stay with Emily for a little while to recover. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think the framing for this scene is literally in the Ashworth estate. Like, um, because I, they have like a home that is theirs. They don't just live in the Swiftwell. Yeah, no, they have a, I mean, I think they lived with the Swiftwells until they could prove that they could live independently, but they definitely have a house. Yeah. So I think, Ali, I'll ask you, uh, what chore is Emily doing when Braith arrives back home? Um, I think uh, the front door is broken on their little house and she is literally fixing the front door. She is, uh, she has a, a, a piece of wood that she has patched onto the part that was broken um, and she has removed it from the hinges and she is in the process currently of putting it back on the hinges and then she's going to paint it and it's like a whole process. I think it was like, you know, it could could be as innocuous as like uh, it, it got knocked in when a storm blew through or something and like uh, a tree branch near the fr- front of the house came down or s- something like that. Um, I don't think it was like, I don't think it was rotten or like unattended to. I think it was like some sort of accident happened and she is just hard at work uh, replacing the part that is missing and fixing what is left so that it can uh, stand again as the front door. That makes sense. What is the super cool way that Braith enters the scene as Braith is wont to do? Well, Braith is injured. Um, or should he? Should the injury happen while he's with Emily? I think w- what I am picturing is like there's probably an amount of time between uh, the actually get going off to the joust camp where Braith gets to swing by home once more because I think. Fathina probably redeploys Braith out to like, you, I need you to go learn how to joust now Um, because you've been getting all these kind of weird jobs from Fathina over the past little bit. Uh, So I think you show up home injured, like like you are literally, you got off the bird and right away you went home to see your sister. I don't think it's cool this time. I think he rolls up in like a wagon or something because he can't ride right now. I think he broke some ribs and uh, they're on the mend or maybe bruised his ribs because that doesn't that doesn't take as long to heal. But there's like there's bruises that are difficult to fly with and um, a really big bandage on his jaw. Okay, so then what I think happened, hun? I think Braith went from whatever event like messed him up to fly directly to Thornvale and directly home and so squall like floats in like lands and you roll off the bird i think like you might have a little bit of bandaging or whatever like you have whatever it is so i'm a hot mess yeah 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 okay that that makes sense as you requested this is not cool yeah this tracks yeah i think squall flies in makes a pretty graceful landing all things considered and kind of struts over and boops at emily emily is Braith's little sister how much younger is she do we think she is like 
four or five years younger than Braith. So a 12-year-old is fixing a door right now. Yeah, she's she's boss. Um real quick to set the scene, is the house like a little like a little like a homestead, like a little farm or is it like a townhouse like inside uh Thornvale proper? Uh it's an edge of town cottage. Okay. Yeah, it's not a very big house cuz it's just the two of them and Braith is gone most of the time anyway, but Emily is a, a competent little homesteader. Like I think that there's like normal sized chickens in the yard and like maybe um some stray cats and stuff like there's there's some like a little there's garden. some animal life there's a little vegetable garden yeah she's got stuff going on she's she's a very busy woman it's not it's not hard to farm in thornville either it's always harvest time you put like the seed in the ground easy. tomorrow it's ready Boom. yeah it's just like animal crossing bang, I, bang, um, I 100 i 100 also think that there's like an axe with like a wood pile like it's it's obvious that this girl like lives alone and does all of this work on her on her own. Yeah. Just like any twelve year old who has ever played Oregon Trail believes that they also could run a homestead yeah. as easily. Exactly. Um so she's out here literally fixing the door and hears Squall and immediately turns because I think at this point Emily definitely knows what Squall sounds like compared to other birds that come through. And she drops, you know, she drops everything and she books it over to uh, the bird and is there as as Braith makes his ungainly dismount. Yeah, just, just kind of tumbles. Yeah, and she's immediately like, "What did you do, Braith? Braith, what is wrong with you? What happened?" Ah, uh, it's a long story, but you know what? I don't. I don't care. I don't care what you did. I don't. I don't care what you did this time. And she's like hoisting him and shuffling him into the house and the door project like the door itself is like leaned against the wall it's like completely forgotten she shuffles him past the front door and into the house and onto a surface a bed or a sofa or what have you whatever's closest and um immediately goes and like puts the kettle on and she's like she's reaming him out for being gone and for not letting her know what was happening and she didn't even think he was in any danger this time and she's just like going off on him right and um like running around and like getting uh bandages and cloths and like things like that and um uh, just like like fully competent fully autonomous like braith is now uh reclined on this surface and she is like mothering him <laughs> Allie yes can I get a detail about this little homestead cottage that it's obvious that this 12 year old girl lives here the mantelpiece above the fireplace in the main room um instead of having like portraits or anything like that on there um it's all of her favorite toys across the the mantelpiece it's like there's a doll and a bear and a like a, a a felt pumpkin that somebody made for her, you know. Like there's just like a bunch of like soft and childlike uh, toys and tchotchkes that she has amassed, and they're all in a in the right order. Uh, Braith is just kind of languishing on the couch and tries to roll onto his side so he can see her, and just says, "The place looks good." It's. The place looks fine. The place does not look good at this point. The door still needs to be fixed. I was in the middle of that when you arrived. I didn't know you were coming back. I didn't know you were in any kind of state. Uh, I I would 
love to hear an explanation, but you hate explanations, Braith. You never tell me what's going on. So how am I supposed to handle that when you come back like this? Is Squall okay? She says as she's like cleaning him up and, and trying to like take care of what's going on with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I took I took the hit. Uh Squall's fine. It just it, it was an accident, honestly, more than anything. It just someone was in trouble, I got in the way and maybe didn't make the best decision. Emily stops like with the cloth and everything in her hands and like sits on the edge of the bed to compose herself. It was an accident and someone was in trouble. And you got in the way. That's what happened? Uh, long, long story short, yeah. Breathe. when are you going to figure this out? And she, like, goes back to, like, tidying him and, and wiping the the grime of flight from his, his brow. When are you going to figure this out? There's only one of you. You can't keep breaking bones and, and taking dives. And what if you didn't come back? I think that's it. So that is a flashback. I want to know, like, the moment in the current timeline that made Braith think of that moment. I think in that last task, when he was getting smacked by that machine, at one point, one of them hit a spot that was still very sore on his ribs, Mm. and it gave him a flashback of the accident and what what Emily had to say. That's great. That's great. Yeah, we've answered the question, who is your risk-taking causing problems for? I feel like that resolves uh, the daredevil trait, so we will give you a spirit. River and I want to sail. If there's a victory, you know I will find it. Never been the type who is happy to fail. A million miles from my front door, there's things that are worth fighting for. But nothing's gonna stop me, friend or foe. When it's all we know, here we go, rising higher and farther. In the universe of Starwall Odyssey, space is made out of the collective imaginations of all the thinking beings who live on various planets. These worlds are connected to each other through imagination. Common themes and ideas are strings between universes. And to get between them, people fly wooden ships that look like animals, which are powered by emotions. Also, people communicate with each other by contemplating orbs. The only way you can take pictures is getting stared at by a big psychic bug. And people have already declared victory in a war over the very concept of evil. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Starwall Odyssey follows the adventures of the hapless inhabitants of the Lucky Finn Tenement Building, who suddenly find that their apartment is actually a spaceship, and that they're lost in a sea of boundless imagination. It's an actual play starring me, James D'Amato, Mel D'Amato, Allie Grauer, and Drew Merzieski, as we playtest the No Kings system, which will hopefully one day be the Skyjacks role-playing system. It toes the line between weird and wonderful slice of life and high-flying space fantasy. 
You can sample the first five episodes by searching for Star Wall Odyssey on your favorite podcast app, or get the whole thing by heading to patreon.com slash one shot podcast and signing up for $5 a month or more.